0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we began our worship this morning with a reading from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16, a reading that comes immediately before our text from last week when Jesus explains why he must die. These words from John 12, 12 through 16, are the words of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They're the reason why we wave palm branches this day. They're beautiful words, right? Hosanna. But today I'm going to let those words about Palm Sunday stand for themselves. I think we need to prepare ourselves once again, for the reason Jesus entered into Jerusalem in the first place. Not to seize political authority, but to claim authority over life and death. So we're going to back up to the verses that come right before the Palm Sunday, as Palm Sunday entrance from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. But before we read that, let me, let me set the story up a little bit. I wonder, have you ever watched a movie with someone who has seen that movie before. That can be annoying, especially when they provide that sort of running commentary that's supposed to be helpful and for your benefit, right? Oh, ah, keep an eye on on that guy. Or pay, pay attention here, this is super important to the plot. Or, I, I bet you think that guy is the killer, right? It's like having your own special feature DVD um, with comments, though, that are more annoying uh, than insightful. It's the kind of behavior that makes you want to reach out and just sort of touch someone, yeah, right? Uh, nothing nothing too bad. But I, I feel a little bit like that when I read our story from John chapter 12 today. So now with that kind of setup, see if you hear these things too. Let's read John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume, made a pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled "'bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. "'You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. "'Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God.'" So it seems that John is just telling a simple story here, a story about Jesus' attendance at a dinner party with his disciples at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right before his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But John can't just tell this story. He's got to lean over figuratively from his spot on the couch and provide some commentary. Look, he says, I imagine munching on some popcorn, there's Lazarus. That's the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Do you remember that? Later, John tells us, Uh, Keep an eye on that Judas character. He's going to betray Jesus later, and don't buy all that baloney about feeding the poor. Uh, He uses the purse like his own personal piggy bank. uh, This Judas guy, he's a thief. So what's the deal here? Why can't John just tell the story, right? Does he really have to provide this running commentary throughout this what should be a simple story? The answer, I suppose, is a resounding yes. He really does. Because John, you see, he's not merely a news reporter here or a storyteller. He is a preacher. He is an evangelist. And we preachers cannot resist telling two stories at once, telling all who will listen about the signs of the eternal hidden in the mundane, everyday plot. There's something more at work here than just a dinner party, says John. Take note. Jesus is passing the potatoes to a man who had been dead and buried for four days, just in the last chapter. That's got to mean something. Pay attention. Mary is not just a hostess who fills the house with the overbearing aroma of an overwhelming amount of perfume. She's not merely a silly woman in an act of waste. That's not what's going on here. Mary, in this moment, is a prophet. She is foretelling Jesus' holy death with this act of worship. Hello, what's about to unfold? The shouts of Hosanna on Sunday. Jesus' death just a few days later on Good Friday. That's not an accident. Not an unfortunate turn in the plot. It has been the plan the whole time. Listen up. You're not hearing the story of simply a dinner party with friends. That's how it might look on the surface, but it is something more. Around the table are characters from the story of Jesus' life who reveal something more about the story. Lazarus is evidence of Jesus' power over death. Judas is evidence that the corruption and sin of the world, including those closest to Jesus, will eventually lead to his death. Mary is evidence that this death is coming soon, so soon that it's time to anoint him with the perfume for burial. John whispers in between the lines, maybe he shouts, because he wants us to know what's really going on, right? and to believe. There is a higher reality at work in the story. This is not just one thing after another, and then, and then, and then. It's the work of God unfolding his eternal plan. John doesn't just see people eating. He sees the hand of God in these ordinary events, unfolding his plan in a masterful way, and he cannot resist proclaiming it to his readers. Friends, I am a preacher like John. And I cannot resist proclaiming a higher reality, a glimpse of the eternal in the midst of what may seem to you to be ordinary, everyday lives. Show me a single mother exhausting herself to feed her kids, to show them right from wrong, give them a decent future, and I will call her a woman of God doing his work. Show me a dad playing kickball with his kids in the backyard after a long day of work, taking time to pray with his kids and bless them before bed, and I will call him a man of God at work in the most sacred of spaces, the home. Show me some compressed wafers and a swig of wine. I will call it a holy meal full of mysterious gifts like the forgiveness of sins, the promise of everlasting life, and the fellowship of believers around the globe from the past, the present, and the future." Show me a person, infant or otherwise, splashed with water at the baptismal font, as these simple words are uttered in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and I will call him or her a child of God being doused in his promises forever. Show me your graveyards, your city morgues, any place where the stench of death wafts about, and I will call those places lands full of people asleep in Christ, Awaiting his return and those precious words, get up, for get up, they surely will. Show me a room full of sinners like you, like me, living lives that seem to be pointless and I will be so bold as to call you the people of God, living purposeful and meaningful lives, not because there's always some incredible evidence to point to that truth, but because God has ordained you as his people, in the waters of baptism and promise to use your hands in everyday life to make the world a better place, to humble you with your struggles and bring you back again and again to the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, if in the name of Jesus I can declare that even the dead have better and more promising futures, then I can be so bold as to proclaim that same word of hope to you as well. I speak not on my own behalf, but in the name of the one who turns hospital rooms and funeral homes from places which reek of illness and death to places where the smell of new life wafts about. I cannot keep silent, for though I have not actually seen this movie before, the Lord has revealed to me how it ends. So shout between the lines, I will. You who work dead-end jobs are, in fact, doing the work of God. You who are exhausted from the work of raising children or caring for aging parents or caring for a spouse or another family member are in fact co-creating the future with God. You who are tired in grief, in sorrow, in turmoil, in chaos are in fact surrounded by the love of the one who orders the universe. You who are full of sorrow over the state of our divided nation full of violence and injustice, and absolutely stymied as to what we might do about it, are God's beloved agents of love and change in God's world, even if I can't support that with any physical evidence. You who are dying are, in fact, on the way to new life. You who are broken down, harassed by guilt and shame are accused and ashamed no more. For God himself in the name of his son Jesus Christ has declared you forgiven and there's no one left to accuse. Preachers like John, like me, we may be annoying. We may even say a thing or two that offends you from time to time, but we are persistent because we don't want you to miss the deeper truths about your life. For your life is more than just one thing after another. God himself has been at work guiding your life up to this point in life and will lead you from here to your future. Where will he lead you? I don't know. But by God, wherever you go, Christ goes with you, bringing the power of God, the promise of his presence, the assurance that he is working through you each and every day, that each day brings you and everyone else closer to seeing him face to face, closer to being together in a world beyond this earthly life of sin. May the God who dwells now, hidden between the lines, right, be revealed to you in your hearts of faith and oh so very soon by the sight of your eyes. Hosanna to God in the highest. Amen.